0: Okay, well, first of all, let me say, my name's Ted. I've met a lot of you before. I've spent time with you. Uh, my last name's Sin, S-I-N-N. Um, over 10 years ago now, we were at Trinity Presbyterian in Lakeland, and we w- went from there and were sent to Orlando to plant a church. And now over two years ago, I moved out of that lead pastor role to spend um, my, this next season of my life uh, training church planters with about a third of my time, um working with church planning churches about a third of my time. And then I get to try to chase around uh, the CBR journal and, and, and help it in its in its growth. And so um, I'm excited I'm excited to be here tonight. I am genuinely grateful for the chance to be here. We're creating these workshops and this is a workshop called Surrender. It's 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 named the first workshop, but It's actually the fourth one I've worked on, and this is only the second time I've ever really thought about it, but in the sequence of six workshops, this will be the first one because we think that this is a really important idea, but it's really underdeveloped, so I appreciate you all. I really do need interaction from you. I really do need feedback from you. Um, Traditionally, uh, I've come to Polk County, and I've tried ideas out, and some of them have gone well, and some of them have flopped, and I can usually learn from both of those situations and bless other people. And so for me, I I don't really... uh, I I hope for you that it goes well tonight, but I know that I'll be able to benefit from it. Uh, So I really am very grateful uh, for that. I I recently was challenged to think about uh, the CBR Journal differently. Um, So a couple years ago, for the first time, we came up with a definition for the CBR Journal. It was very uh, theological. Um, It was very academic. Um, It was something like... um, it was something about the CBR Journal can create a viral culture of daily Bible reading, blah, 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 whatever. I don't even really remember it. But someone introduced me to the story brand idea or the book called Story Brand. It's a book where you present who you are, who you are as an organization, and you present who you are, you market yourself, although we don't do marketing, but you kind of brand yourself and you talk about yourself uh, to help people understand a significant need they have and, and where you think you can help them in relationship to that need, right? And so I've been talking more and more about the CBR Journal this way, helping you and yours connect with God through his word and each other in his word daily. But I think a huge issue is isolation, individualism, and loneliness, especially for humans who are created for intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. And so what I would say, after watching the CBR Journal spread literally around the world, I, I would say I hear over and over and over this idea that this tool is being used by God to help people have intimacy with Him, connect with Him, experience relationship with Him, where He goes from ideas to a person. And then the tool can enable uh, friendships to be built within God's community as we interact on and, and talk about and think through Um, our time with the Lord in his, our time with the Lord in his word. So these workshops are being designed to help you uh, either experience more intimacy with God, which is the focus of tonight, or uh, some of them are designed to help you experience more intimacy with your neighbors, which actually the last time we came, we talked about interdependence. We talked about community. Okay, so that's what we're here to do tonight, is I'm here to help you Um, If you are not yet participating in the CBR Journal, I apologize. This material is being designed for people who are. That doesn't mean I want you to leave. It just some of this may not be as easily understood for you because we may start talking about ideas and things and concepts and experiences that you haven't had. And in fact, I would say that this module, I'm going to say a big word here, I'm going to spell it for you, but it's not, I didn't come up with this word. Uh, This module is more phenomenological phenomenological than any other of the workshops. So there's a workshop on how the New Testament teaches the church to understand the Old Testament, and you don't actually have to be a believer to be intrigued by that module. You can, like, just be intrigued by the fact that that there's a thing called the Bible that people have benefited from from a long time, and the New Testament tells you how to read the whole thing. Uh, there's a module on interdependent community, and I, I know from lots of experience that unbelievers will sit through that module and resonate with a lot of it because the module is just all about why we have so much power in one another's lives and how we can wield that power for redemptive purposes. And like, even for an unbeliever, it's kind of like chicken soup for the soul. It's very intriguing. It's very fascinating. It explains a lot of things. This one is about surrender. It's about, we're going to try and talk about how to have increased depth in our relationship with God. So if you don't have a relationship with God, this one's going to be it's just hard to make this one academic. So the word phenomenological, it's, it's actually an academic word for you cannot understand the definition of something if you haven't experienced that thing. Phenomenology is the study of experience. So this one's the most phenomenological. We're gonna, we're, we might start talking about thin spaces, which is a puritanical word, a word the Puritans used for those goosebump moments where God is like really close and like some of you are shaking your head, yeah, I've been there. And then some of us have been through a desert where God's just like, he's still here, but it's just like, it's a thick, what would be called a thick space. Does that make sense? So tonight's phenomenological, I just kind of tell you that right off the bat. And, um, and I, I, in a sense, I apologize for that, but there's not a whole lot uh, that I can do about it. So tonight's module is called Surrender. What do you think of when you hear the word surrender I need you to chat with me I'm sorry mathematics, Robert e. Lee. mathematics? Robert e. Lee surrendering. Oh Robert E. Lee okay so war okay what else give up, give up. yeah give in I like that too that's good Let go. What else? Yield. Yield. Yeah, I like that. Is surrender the same as being conquered? I'm sorry? No. In my mind, sometimes when I think of the word surrender, I think it has negative connotations to me, but actually surrender is quite positive compared to being conquered. So sometimes we surrender because we're in a submission hold and we tap out and we're like, that's enough. I don't want to wrestle anymore. But sometimes we just recognize that someone has more authority, more glory, more beauty. We just recognize they're greater than us and we yield to them. So by surrender, I don't, I don't want you to think negatively When you think about surrendering to God, I don't want you to think that he has conquered you, although our catechism very clearly says that it's a gracious thing that he conquers us, that he subdues us, that he gives us new life. I'm talking more about in your relationship with him where you choose to bend the knee, where you see something glorious and great and beautiful and surrender is more like humility. It's it's more like, it's not acquiescing It's more like choosing. So that's what we mean tonight when we talk about surrender, okay? If you want to look at the big idea at the very top of your handout, it says the big idea for the workshop is this. Based on our desire for intimacy with the Lord, we surrender through prayer at the start and fight for surrender. I love that phrase. We fight for surrender, you know, because the Bible talks about faith as a fight, right? So we surrender at the start, and we fight for surrender as we listen to the scripture. So if you'll go down uh, to the picture, I, I've heard that some people made fun of my stick figures. But that's just, um, that's unfortunate for them because it's really great art. <laughs> but this is what I mean, is like when you are sort of waking up, the hope of the CBR journal is this, is that you would very quickly find yourself surrendering through prayer and and surrendering to God in his word through prayer. That if you've ever been to an invitation to the CBR Journal, it's it's another environment like this that we've created to introduce people to the the CBR Journal. In that invitation, we, we look through the Psalter and we learn over and over and over that our hearts are hungry for God first thing in the morning. And so... The goal of the CBR journal is to get people addicted to, addicted to the habit of reading their Bible in the morning. But we don't want people addicted to a ritual, we want them addicted to a relationship. So the very, first, the very first thing you're asked to do over and over in the journal, if you were to open one up if you've never seen it before, the very first thing you do is you surrender through prayer. You see that? We're really going to focus on this a lot tonight. Then, for however long you have to sit in God's presence and to listen to him in the scriptures, for however long you have, whether it's five minutes or two hours, and sometimes I have five minutes and sometimes I have two hours, however long that is, the goal is to listen to the scriptures and and to respond with prayer. Because, of course, this is communication. This is communion. It's not study, it's listen. And it's also, it's, it's not, um, you know, outline. It's not fill in the box and improve my theology. It's prayer. These are the, the dynamics of a relationship, listening and talking. Make sense? So then at, whenever your time's up, whether it's five minutes or two hours, you pop back up into the real world. Jesus says, go into your closet. Like, he's, he's like, Find a private space to spend time with the Father. Then you pop back up into the real world. And you do that by step number four in the CBR journal, which is prepare for community. So get ready to go and walk into your life ready to talk about this time with the Lord. Make sense? So the flow of the CBR Journal, the daily flow, is I surrender. In that posture of surrender and yieldedness, I love that word, yield. In that posture of surrender and yieldedness, I am listening to God in his word, and I am responding to God through prayer. We're working on our relationship. And then when it's time for me to go back into the real world, I get ready to talk to my community about what impacted me the most in my time with the Lord. Now, I want to submit to you tonight, what I want to do is in step one, I want to talk about this right here, and I want to say, why do we surrender and how do we surrender? So if you look at section one, it says why and how do we surrender through prayer? And the reason that surrender through prayer is in quotes is because the very first thing you're asked to, to do every morning in the CBR journal is to surrender through prayer. So why do we do that and how do we do that? And then I also want to submit to you that there are going to be certain, we'll call them temptations. There will be forks in the road down here where one will be tempted to go out of the posture of surrender. And I want to say to you that I want us to fight for surrender in those moments that I want us to fight for surrender in those moments. Any questions so far? Everybody's happy? Moderately so? Okay. Now, we have said over and over, if you've been to anything I've done on the CBR Journal, we have said over and over that, that uh, the CBR Journal is a Bible listening tool and not... A Bible study tool. Do y'all remember this? That we have said over and over, I've said over and over, I know here, I don't know if you guys were here or not, that in Bible study, which is a legitimate spiritual discipline, Bible study is a very good thing. I am not comparing these to one another and contrasting them with one another to say that one is better than the other. I'm just saying they're both good spiritual disciplines. You should have both of them in your life. But... Bible study is this idea of I kind of come over the Word. I try to kind of take the Word down, if you will, and I outline it, and I think about major themes in it, and I do Word studies of it. And then I I usually come up here getting ready to give the Word to somebody else. Bible study is me coming over the Word, shining light on the Word, outlining the Word. It's me sort of taking a an active posture. And that's not bad, it's just different. In Bible reading, spiritual theologians, spiritual guides through the centuries have talked about the posture of surrender in Bible reading wherein we come under the scripture. The scripture shines light on us, the scripture outlines us. We're in a more receptive posture, not an active posture. If you're going to remember one Bible verse, we're going to come to it in a little bit. If there's one Bible verse to summarize tonight, it's in the book of James. It says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Actually, the Bible talks about receiving the word all the time. But James uses this word for gentleness or approachability. He's like, take the posture of reception, which means that the word's coming at you, which means the word is active. And James says, the word is able to save your soul if you receive it with meekness. And in that context, he's not talking about saving you like the day you were converted. He's talking about saving you from the power of sin so that you can live a more human life. Does that make sense? So again, I am not opposed to Bible study. The fact is you don't want to listen to a preacher or a teacher who doesn't do a lot of Bible study. At the same time, you don't want to listen to one who who doesn't do a lot of Bible reading either. Because the Bible reading will prepare them to love you, the Bible study will help them to to, to feed you the Word. Does that make sense? Okay, so just a reminder that this is is what we're doing in the Community Bible Reading Journal is we're learning this long-adored spiritual discipline of Bible listening, of, of this Bible reading, not better than Bible study, different than Bible study. Okay? Questions? Comments? Concerns? Nothing? That means we're doing so amazing or so horrible. But nothing in the middle. We'll hope it's amazing. Okay, so if you go to the second box on your page there, section one, why and how do we surrender through prayer? Thank you so much. I've been sort of praying at a subconscious level that you guys would move. And, and the Lord has answered my prayer. Still working on you back there. Just kidding. <laughs> All right, so why and how do we surrender through prayer? So first, we pray prayers of surrender because of the divinity of the scriptures. Second, we pray prayers for illumination because of the necessity of the spirit. Third, we pray prayers for transformation because of the potential in the seed. And fourth, we pray prayers of authenticity because of the examples in the word, okay? So now we're describing this descent down. We're describing those first three lines that you use in the journal to take a surrendered posture, okay? So A, letter A, we pray prayers of surrender because of the divinity. I put that in italics and quotations because I want to describe eventually what I mean by that, but because of the divinity, of the scriptures. Who would be willing to read loudly and clearly Hebrews four twelve and 13? Ashley, thank you. That wasn't exactly a, I will, but there was a, there was an acquiescence. There was acquiescence. There was not, that was not like a, a desire nor surrender. That was just like, it's going to happen. So, all right. Okay, what do we learn in verse twelve? Just rattle off some. Even if you're just reading back to me what the passage says, what are we learning in verse twelve? God's word is alive. It does, things. it does things. It's active. Good. What else? You can't hide. You can't hide. Yeah. So it's uh, it's a sword that pierces and gets into the deepest parts of our being whenever it wants. What else? What does it do once it's there in the middle of who we are? Yeah. Yeah, it it discerns, it knows the thoughts of our minds and the intentions of our heart. So we're actually going to come back to this later. One of the, this is unfortunate that I use this here. I'll get rid of it. I'm convinced after doing this myself through the years and by listening to hundreds and hundreds of people talk about it, I'm convinced that one of the temptations to leave the posture of surrender is the conviction of sin. And I'm convinced that one of these places where we're tempted to, to leave the posture of surrender is conviction of sin. And this passage is actually all about the conviction of sin. And we're going to read the verses that follow in a second where it talks about stay there and hold on to your confession and run to Jesus. Okay, so we're not going to get there yet. Right now, I just want you to notice that in verse 13, it says no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So where God's word goes, he goes. And God's word and God himself, they're used interchangeably here. We're, I'm, I'm creating, I'm giving you, I'm setting up for you a theology for what theologians for hundreds of years have called the divinity of the word. It doesn't mean that the word, that the, the, the word and God are equal. It doesn't mean that the word is divine. It means that, that God uses the word in extraordinary ways. Okay. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's useful for etc, 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 etc. But for now, let's just stop here, and, and let's say this, that here when he says all scripture is breathed out by God, he has just said to Timothy that he should continue to read the sacred writings. So he is saying to him, you should continue to read the Old Testament. Of course, we can presume that he would want us to include the New Testament in that, but at least at this point, he is saying the Old Testament is breathed out by God. This word for breathed out by God, literally in the Greek, is theonoustos, God, Spirit. The two words jammed together. Nowhere else is it like this in the Bible, and nowhere else is it like this in the Greco-Roman world. He is saying all Scripture is God, Spirit. Does that make sense? So he, I think God breathed is a good translation because spirit does mean breath. It can mean breath both in the Hebrew and in the Greek. But breath is this internal reality in the ancient Near East that was someone's life that was leaving them. And so Paul, Paul is saying to Timothy, all of the scriptures are at least spoken by God, they at least come from God, and they at least contain the life of God. Not to say they are God, right? But they they contain the life of God. That God dwells in the scriptures. All right, Galatians 3, 5 to 9. I'm not going to make us read all of this. I would just point your attention to verse 8. For me to explain what's happening in Galatians 3 would be, it could be interesting, but it's off the point. And all I want to show you is, how the scriptures are personified in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, so the scriptures are separate from God. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the scriptures preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and this is a quote of Genesis 12, 3, In you shall all of the nations be blessed. If you go back to Genesis twelve three, it's very clearly Yahweh. It's the Lord who says that to Abraham. And here in Galatians, Paul is saying it was the scriptures that said it to Abraham. Do you see what I'm saying? So the scriptures can be said to later in this chapter, imprison people under the law. When, when the Old Testament would say God imprisoned people under the law. All I'm saying is the two are separate. The scriptures saw that God was going to do something and they preached to Moses. They are separate, but they're interchangeable. And so from passages like this, theologians through the years have talked about the divinity of the word. The word is living and active. The word is God's spirit. So if you look at the next line there, it says the Old Testament speaks of God's word in ways that is only appropriate to speak of God. We're told to tremble at his word. We're told to praise his word. We're told to be in awe of his word. We're told to rejoice at his word. It is said that the the law of the Lord is perfect and it revives the soul. The only being in the Old Testament perfect is God, and the one who revives the soul is God. And yet when God speaks and when God gives his word, his word is inhabited by him. He dwells in it. Are you with me? Okay, so we're going to skip the next passage because I don't think it's as helpful. But I would, I would say this. Theologians of the past would speak of the Scriptures as being divine. It doesn't mean that your printed copy of the Bible is divine. And it doesn't mean that the Word of God is equal to God. But we do pray prayers of surrender because of the divinity of the Scriptures. That when we are surrendering, we are saying... I'm about to listen to you in the Bible. That this book is unlike any other book that I can read. Are you with me? So John Frame, my favorite living theologian, I put some quotes here from him just to give you a sense for how we can sort of talk about this somewhat mysterious reality. He says, God's written word has the same power, authority, and divinity is the divine voice from heaven. If God were to right now start speaking to us, would we bend the knee? I'm thinking we'd be just like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. We would be flat on our faces. And yet, I think it's consistent to say that his written word has the same power, authority, and divinity. He writes this, God's word is God's dwelling place in the world and in our hearts. He says, don't seek to know God apart from his word or don't read the word without realizing that you're in the presence of God. The word is the very presence of God among us, the place where God dwells, so you cannot separate the word of God from God himself. And then Eugene Peterson tweeted this just the other day and I thought, hey, I'll talk about a tweet because that's sort of current and cool. The goal of reading the word is to listen for the voice of God who speaks. Okay? So why do we surrender? Well, to start, and we can come up with a better word. Maybe Jonathan will tell me what that better word is. But to start, we we surrender because we understand that there's something very special going on in the Bible. It's unlike any other book we have, and it is a place where God dwells and works and likes to be present and likes to bring about powerful realities in our lives. Okay, so second, we pray prayers for illumination because of the necessity uh, of the Spirit. So illumination just means to light up, to to shine light on. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4-5, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, Because our gospel came to you not only in word. So Paul's talking about when he preached the gospel to those in Thessalonica. He says, not only did our our gospel come to you as a speech, but it also came to you in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so Paul, Paul knew what it was like to preach the gospel and have people not respond with faith. But when folks responded with faith, and they had full conviction, full assurance that what he was saying is right and true and beautiful. Paul's like, that's, that's a work of God. Does that make sense? And so we're praying, we're surrendering, because we're acknowledging that if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and, and come with power, we're not going to be able to receive the word with full conviction, and we're not going to be able to receive the word in redemptive ways. And that we absolutely need the Holy Spirit to come and to minister to us in those ways. Uh, I won't read this long passage from Ephesians 1, but basically in this passage, Paul says in verse 15 that these are believers in Jesus. They have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he tells them, I'm praying for you all the time. And then he tells them what he prays for them is that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to all that they have in the gospel. So these are people who already have received the gospel, they already believe the gospel, and Paul is saying, I am praying for you that the Holy Spirit would continue to shine light on the gospel and in your heart and enable you to understand the hope you have in Jesus, the riches you have in Jesus, the the future that you have in Jesus. So isn't that fascinating that a believer still needs the Holy Spirit to come and be present and be at work in them in their sanctification. Does that make sense? So in the prayer of surrender, when we're surrendering through prayer, we're just saying, look, I need you to shine light on this whole situation. I won't even be able to understand the spiritual depths of this passage apart from you. I won't be able to understand my heart apart from you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I will not be able to understand what it looks like to move forward apart from your ministry. Okay? So, C, we pray prayers for transfer." For transformation because of the potential in the seed okay so what's the dominant metaphor for the word of God in the Bible seed is it said to be a sword absolutely is it said to be a lot of things sure but the, the, the metaphor used more often than any other is a seed or an acorn think about that for a second The God that can knock us flat with a a radiant light and a booming voice more often than not describes his speaking to us as a seed or an acorn. James 1, I put 19 and 20 in there because I just want you to know what the context is, but if you just look at verse 21, he says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness... The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I'd say that's pretty extraordinary power, but I'd say that's, ext- I would say it's a precious or even precarious power that calls for a reception with meekness. Do you see what I'm saying? Like so, we surrender and we come down and we say, "I'm I'm going into a receptive posture, because I realize that your word often comes in something that is so powerful it could one day be an entire forest, but right now it's just a small seed and it it must be handled with care." Do you remember that famous parable Jesus taught about the word being scattered about like a seed? What percentage of the seed took root? Well, we don't know, 25%, but of the four types of people, only one of the four did it bear fruit. And so part of how we surrender, when we surrender through prayer, is we come down here and we say, there's incredible potential in what I'm about to interact with. But God has called me to receive that word with humility, meekness, and availability. Okay, how how do we and why do we surrender through prayer? D, we pray prayers of authenticity because of the examples in the Word. So all I'm saying here is this. In those first three lines of the CBR journal, right? if 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 you haven't ever used a CBR journal, the last page of your handout is an example of the flow of the CBR journal. The first three lines always say this, surrender through prayer. And don't forget, you just got up out of bed, maybe made some coffee, which is what I always do, You've resisted the urge to look at your phone, maybe, whatever, and you're, you're, you're like intentionally moving down into the posture of surrender, of yieldedness, because you're about to interact with the divine word of God. You're about to meet with God in his word, right? And all I'm saying is the Bible would say when people meet with God, they're authentic, they, they tell him how they're doing. Apart from authenticity, these prayers will become very rote. You'll basically be saying the same thing day after day. Please transform me. Please shine light on the passage. Please, you know, I surrender. You're holy. I'm not. Isaiah 6, I'm falling on my face, right? But if your prayer includes, I'm really frustrated. Or I'm really tired. Or how long is this trial going to last? Or I can't believe your grace because this is happening in my life and it never should. So when you see people interacting with God or with Jesus, you see this ability to be authentic with what's going on. So for example, I'll just read a few from David in the Psalms. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Psalm 38, "O oh Lord, all my longing is before you, my sighing is not hidden from you. Psalm 42, 3 and 4, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is his God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Etc. etc. So why do we surrender through prayer? Four reasons. How do we surrender through prayer? Four types of prayers. Prayers of authenticity, prayers of surrender, prayers for transformation, and prayers for illumination. So, do you have a better sense? I hope you say yes. If not, I need to know. Do you have a better sense for what we're trying to do in the first three lines of the journal? So, if you're looking for a Bible study tool, you're like, why am I already writing something? This is not a fill in the blank box. Does that make sense? But if you're intentionally moving into a posture of surrender to hear from God in his word, then you, that's, that's the spot where you do that, where you write that out. Questions, comments, aha moments? What does? Yes. Right. Are you speaking for or against? (laughs) Me too. Yeah. I don't know of a relationship I'm in where you can do intimacy in five minutes. I don't personally know. You can do transactions in five minutes. But you can't do the two becoming one intimacy in five minutes, which, by the way, is just a metaphor for God being in us and being in our church. Yep. That's I absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. This morning I put BT, BTW in my prayer of surrender to God. It was like, to be frank, I'm discouraged. And then later I wrote some other things that I won't tell you, and I said, by the way, kind of snapping. <laughs> a little bit like a petty little child. But that's who I was, right? And so it, it was going to be fake if it wasn't that. Okay? Yes? Sure. So I'm looking at your last page to try to make a
1: connection with what you said. Okay.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. So, it does, first of all, it doesn't have to be five minutes. You can write the, the first five minutes. I think Jonathan was saying you can't do all of this in five minutes. So, I, and, I, and so the, it may take five minutes to write the prayer of surrender, but I don't think it has to take five minutes. So it's just a. I know that's not your. But I'm just to clarify that part for you. Yes, absolutely. And all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, all that theology becomes relational when I tell God who I am because when I say to him by the way I'm really discouraged and then I say to him but I believe that you can transform me I believe you can deliver me I believe that you will meet me here and help me understand what you're doing then then those those four those those first three are very important but they'll become ritualistic and sort of theological without me being authentic and then it becomes personal so great question is that better no matter what, even if you don't use the CBR journal, you have to obey, receive with meekness the implanted word. That's in the Bible. No matter what, when Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, hear. And when he says, hold fast to my word so that you become good soil. So there are biblical principles here. This is just a simple tool. So if you don't use it, no big deal. The, the, value, the values that we're trying to get at are the part that, that really matter and will matter forever. Yes? That's awesome. I need to know that. That seems important to me. (laughs) Yeah. Can you send me that? It's uh, ted at thecbrjournal.com. That would be awesome. Yeah, I would also tell you there's an article out there related to that. Seven times you're most naturally brilliant. And this article is all about when to do things during the day. And they say intimacy is the first thing that you should do in the morning. Which is why all the old people whose kids are at school are smiling. 10-4? 10-4? Okay. All right. So that was awkward enough. Let's move on. Other questions, comments, concerns? though. No. And seriously, intimacy is, it's not the best time to memorize. It's not the best time to work out. It's not the best time. It's the best time for a relationship. It's not the best time to be creative. It's not the best time to do chores. There are other times where your body's physically more ready for those things. But, that's exa- but that, that is related to that, the ability to receive during that time. Very important.
1: Yeah. And his thing is to do that, and not let it not let his feet hit the floor.
0: So um so to, so to do that and yep. get in that line we set before his feet hit the floor. So, gotcha. You know, it's a, a lot of this is kind of matches up with, cool. with control. Good, very good. Okay. So here's here's your experience. here's the it says table exercise. So again, this is being written for people and the the presumption is that the workshops are being attended by people who are trying to figure out how to utilize the tool. Um, But the the exercise I would want to give you is this. If you were to go back to this morning and make your surrender through prayer more authentic, what would you write and pray? So you may be able to just flip open to your CBR journal and say, "I I would write that again. But, again, the, the, the goal is that the prayer would, that you would see in those prayers across time, maybe not every morning, that you're checking off all four boxes, illumination, transformation. But the goal is, across a week, that you are seeing these four truths fleshed out in how you're praying. And so, what I, so, the, so I would say, if you were going to, and maybe you're like, I didn't do it this morning, perfect. Here's a chance to practice writing a surrender, a prayer of surrender. Remembering now that God has to shine light for you to understand his word. Remembering now that God has to show up to transform you. Remembering now that, that the word has incredible power to save you. Remembering now that God invites us to be authentic. So that's the exercise. Take a couple of minutes and just write a, a, a surrender through prayer. Write a prayer of surrender. Try to include those four elements. But I'm not asking you to be authentic now. That might be too awkward. I'm saying, if you would have been more authentic this morning, what would it have been? Are you confused by what I'm asking you to do? So do that for a a couple of minutes. Join up with some other tables, if there's only two of you, and share those with one another, um, and and talk about, maybe in those prayers, where you see uh, these ideas that we've been hashing out for the last half hour. All right, so we're going to continue in this break for the next five minutes. So if you need to use the restroom, please do. But if I wanted to also say, do we have any questions or do we have anything exciting to report or is anybody, just want, is anybody feeling, feeling a desire to share? Any more great resources that you can email me? You're in a break. You're in a break if you need a break. We're not going to do anything other than I'm just seeing if, if we can dialogue a little bit. Cool. For me, my prayers are stronger, the exact same, very theologically correct. Yes. God, you're holy, help me be more like you. Yes. But if I was honest this morning, I've got a things to do, this is the last thing. I Yeah. This is just in the way. Yeah. Now help me get past that. Right. Very good. Very good. Yeah, so we're the same in that. I, I tend towards the same prayer. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Or show me wondrous things in your law or you know enlighten the eyes of my heart. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those are all biblical ways of praying, but but me bringing myself into that prayer um, is is refreshing, right? The real me good. What other thoughts? I told my group that sometimes I'm really in a bad spot and I just don't even know
1: what I,
0: need, I think Star Wars and I say help me, you're my only hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Deliver me. I don't even know what I need deliverance from. But I just need deliverance. That's awesome. That's great. What are some of your favorite passages that inform your prayers of surrender? Like we just rattled some off there. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. and light in the eyes of my heart. My, one of my favorites is when Paul says to Timothy, think about these things and the Holy Spirit will give you understanding. That's actually really cool for a thinker. But then I start to realize a lot of the things I thought I thought of were actually gifts from him. So I'll I'll, I'll use that a lot in my prayers. What what else? It's a workshop. Rattle around. Your Your word does not return void. Great. What else? That's great. Yeah. It accomplishes the purposes for which it's sent. Awesome. Yeah, teach me all things and bring to my remembrance. You, uh, you know, you said it'd be better if you left because then the teacher and the comforter would come, and so you could uh, you could begin to turn that into a prayer. Those are great biblical truths to include in our prayers. What else? So what this does for me is if if I really if I really step into surrender through prayer. It keeps me from being ritualistic. Um, and, and it keeps me from thinking that, that um, this is something I have to just check off the list. I at least have to acknowledge out loud right now I just want to check this off the list. that's huge. you said, if I'm really going to surrender prayer, used the word earlier choosing. Yes. a choosing. That's great. That's awesome. I am recognizing that I'm made for you. Yep. And you're the I need to run on. Your words are I need awesome. like I need food and drink today. That's great. Absolutely. All those were biblical ideas that have been appropriated into the heart and applied to the life and now can become a prayer in the future. Okay. When will we need, don't look at your sheet because you, you'll, you'll, the answer is obvious. My answers are there, but I think there's more. When will we need to fight for surrender? So, using our timeline, once we get down in this place, when will we need to fight to stay there in the posture of surrender? When will we need to fight for it? So, we've already talked about distractions. Yeah, so we're down here, we're reading, we're listening, and we're praying. What might tempt us to leave the the surrendered posture, the yielded posture? The book of Numbers. I'll write that down. All right, what else? Yeah, so fuzzy. Uh, And you said don't seem to be getting anything. Right, that's me too. When else? Yeah, so the to-do list. Yep, conviction. And this can go one of two ways. For me, it can be like, that's enough for today, or it's like, i got to go do something about this. You know, or, or i got to go fix this, or i got to go do better. Or like, if the conviction of sin comes, and I'm like, oh man, I want to live differently today. And I don't run to Jesus. That's me coming up out of the surrender. And kind of getting into a willful. That's right. Yeah, very good. Yeah, absolutely. And that might be the right thing to do. After, after going to the throne of grace. Yes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's okay to use the commentary while you're listening. It depends on if it keeps you in a listening posture or if it puts you into if it puts you into more of an academic posture. Like so spiritual theologians through the years would talk to you about is it inflaming your heart with with uh, with love for God and for worship? Is it, you know, it, it, they would want you to think beyond your head and into your heart. Is it stirring your affections for the Lord or is it intriguing your mind? So I, I can't know. I can't know what that does for you. For me, what, that, what I do with the study notes in the SV is I, I read them last. So I, I actually have a number five. I go and read the study notes. So first, I receive the word with meekness and I kind of keep that posture of listening, of dialogue and of prayer. But that's because I, I make money off of studying the Bible and teaching it. So I, I don't know for you if the commentary is, is making you hear from God better and pray your prayers to him better. I don't know that. Right. As soon as I start to outline the passage of how I would teach it to other people, for me, it's not bad when that happens, but that's not what I'm going for here. Those aren't, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's a gift that God gives. It's a gift God gives to his church. We're not saying it's bad. We're just saying it's different. Awesome. It's great. Great, great, great dialogue. Good answer. Okay, so I, I, I just, I, I took a stab at this. If you look at the box number two there, when will we need to fight for surrender? We fight for surrender when distracted by the world. Uh, we fight for surrender when convicted by the word. And we fight for surrender when confused by his ways. The actual surrender module is much more than this now, but it started in my mind when I kept hearing people say how confused they were by the Bible. And so this whole module started in my mind. It's developed to more than this, and God is using it for more than this, but it started in my mind on that confused idea of of what to do when we're confused. And so we're going to talk about that in, in letter C. But for now, A, I want somebody that would be maybe a few verses at a time. Let's read this very familiar uh, teaching from Jesus, this parable and this explanation where he talks about the seed. And in particular, let's think about what Jesus can teach us here about being distracted. Okay? What, What can distract us? Who would read?
1: The parable. The sower went out to sow. his seed, and as he sowed, some fell among the batter, trampled underfoot, and the birds appeared about it. And some fell on rock, and as it grew up it it away, the head and lived away because it had no moisture. And some some fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell on good soil, grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things,
0: Okay, so what, what does this passage remind us of that we've already covered tonight? So we've already talked about some biblical ideas tonight. They're reiterated here. What are some of those ideas? The potential of the seed, great. Each seed has the potential of a hundredfold. And in that botanical metaphor, all hundred of those plants has a bunch of seeds. Does it make sense? Incredible potential. Great, what else? Yeah, hold off on that for just now. Yeah, the sower's going out. Very good. Very good. What else? What about this hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience? Okay, so now then in in terms of distraction, I, I see... A few um, I, I, In this parable, there, there are a few verses that make me think of distracting things. What do you see? I'm sorry? Pleasure. Right, yeah. So where is that at? 14. They're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. So the cares of life. Yes, yes. The riches of life. Longing for security, good, and the pleasures of life, longing for a good time. So it's not just it's all those things. all those things can distract us if if the par- the parable is this: that once you've heard the word, are you going to protect it and defend it and pour water on it and fertilize it when you move out into your life? And so if Jesus is worried, about us being distracted by these things when we move out into life, certainly he's worried about us being distracted by these things when we're reading the Word. Does that make sense? So also you have uh, a time of testing. Verse 13. One of the things that distracts me the most is the trials I'm going through. Not just the to-do list, not just the temptations of pleasures and riches, but one of the things that distracts me is, especially if I don't feel like the passage has a whole lot to say about why I can't sleep through the night. A surrendered posture there is to say, okay, I'm reading the, this passage with my community. This is, this is in your sovereignty. I'm in this church and we're reading these chapters and I, I want to pay attention to these chapters. Not focus in on and expect you to always speak to my trials and tribulations does that make sense and so I right here I'm like these distractions I can't spell it all out but I'm saying we fight for surrender when we stay down in this surrendered posture when we think about all the things that we have to do in the day we, we fight for this. So basically what it looks like for me is I find myself up here. I'm like, oh, I, gotta, I need to go back down here. It's not that I can head it. I can, I'm not mature enough yet to see it coming and stop it. I just have to, I find myself going up here and I've got to go back down. So for me, it's more like. Woo, woo, woo. And sometimes I get so far up here, I check my phone. <laughs> and then I go back down or I put it on my to-do list, on my reminders on my phone. Does that make sense? Okay, so this parable can teach us an awful lot about Bible reading. It can teach us an awful lot about the power of the word. It can teach us an awful lot about God sending out his word and it not returning void. It can tell us an awful lot, but, but it, it can at least tell us this, that, that distractions can seem innocent enough, but are actually in the realm of life and death. I think it's fascinating that there are these types of soil that look good for a while but end up not being faithful, fruitful soil, which means they end up not being believers because of distraction. Yes, ma'am? Sure. Yeah. Yes. So theologically, like if you study this parable theologically, you'll see that there are four types of people where they fall into one of those categories in their life. And, and every believer has parts of their heart. So for me, one of the prayers I pray is don't let, the, don't let the devil take the seed from my heart. That's one of the things I put in my prayer of surrender. Because I still believe that while I'm regenerate, there's a part of me that is not new, it's the old, and I'm wanting that to decrease and go away. So yeah, you're exactly right. So our theology teaches us that this is the old self and this is the new self, right? And this is getting better and this has been crucified, it is dying. But this old heart is what's distracted. But I'm telling you this, there are some people who appear to be believers for a while and they're not. And the parable is speaking to that as well. And so, for me, when I find myself going up here, I'm, this part of me is telling me something else will make me more happy than listening to God. This part of me is telling me God's not talking about what you care about right now. This part is telling me go close that deal. And this part is saying no, this is what gives me life, so that I can live my life free and for His glory. But absolutely, good question. Okay, uh, we fight for surrender when confused. I'm sorry, B, we fight for surrender when convicted by the word. Okay, so Hebrews twelve, we, uh, 4, 12, and 13, we read that earlier. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Woo! And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so this passage just reminds me that when conviction is wanting me to leave this posture of kneeling, the passage says, actually go down there and go low in repentance. Hold fast to your confession. Does that make sense? And you're shaking your head no. No. Sure. Yeah, yeah, so I totally agree with that. Conviction is awesome. But what I'm saying is sometimes I, conviction is meant to drive me to Jesus, just like this passage says, to go to the throne of grace. And all I'm saying is if I feel conviction and I don't know what to do with that, I can just, if, I, if I'm young in my faith, I just get out of there because I don't like feeling convicted. But I can also, I can also just say I'm going to do better and pop out of there without staying down and going into repentance. So all I'm saying is when we feel conviction, that's when we enter the confession box of the prayer and we hold fast to our confession. So conviction is absolutely a good thing. And I'm just saying if that conviction takes you away from the throne of grace and takes you away from the great high priest, if it takes you away from humility and repentance, then it's, then it's not godly grief. So the Bible does talk about the difference between godly grief and a grief that's not from God. So does that, make, does that clarify things for you a little bit? So again, we're, I'm, not, I'm not saying conviction is bad. I'm just using that as a possible temptation to not stay in a surrendered posture. All right? Y- y'all are helping me tremendously. Like I said, this is being developed. It's so good to say things out loud and have people ask questions. So when I see you shaking your head no, that's, that's a gift to me. I, I, I need to hear that stuff. It's helping me a lot. Okay, so then third, we fight for surrender when confused by his ways. So in Isaiah 53, I put in there 1 through 9, but look at verses 8 and 9 first. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So look at me. So what is this saying about God compared to us? My faith favorite diagram in seminary is this one. John Frame would say, this is God and this is you. You are made in his image and likeness, but you are not him. And he, ha- he is so much more than you will ever comprehend. So all I'm saying at the start is so much higher, so much bigger, right? And I should probably assume that I'm going to be a little bit confused in this relationship. That actually, if I'm confused, if I'm confused, that's actually a good sign. That's such a good starting yes. Right here. So, his ways are higher. Okay, now let me ask you this question. When do you normally hear people say to one another, his ways are higher than our ways? Yeah, when bad things happen to good people. I'd like for you to listen to Isaiah 55 1-6, through six, the verses, 1-7, through seven, the verses just before these, these verses. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to, to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast and sure love for David." when bad things happen to good people, it's about when good things happen to bad people. When God is saying, I'm so much bigger than you, he is saying it after being gracious. When he's saying, he is saying, when you're confused by me, you're confused by my grace. He's saying, when your mind can't get wrapped around my truth, it's because your mind can't comprehend sacrificial love. Of all the passages I'm about to show you that where the Bible says the Bible's confusing, in every one of them it goes back to grace and Jesus. And the point is, as you, go, as you go deeper into the truth of God, you don't find out new things that makes Jesus irrelevant. You find out how great and glorious Jesus is. And so I don't have to be scared of my confusion. I can also be excited about learning more, because as that confusion dissipates, Jesus becomes better. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's watch that in these next few uh, passages. So Second Peter, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, he's talking about the new heavens and the new earth at this point, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Listen to this. There are some things in them, he's talking about Paul's letters, about hope in the new heavens and the new new earth. There are some things in these letters that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the air of lawless people and take care that you don't lose your stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. What's happening again in this passage? You can't fathom what God has for you in the new heavens and the new earth. And don't let, don't let, Jesus says you can't imagine what's about to happen. Don't let your inability to imagine or your confusion take you into lawlessness. Trust me, as it gets better, as it becomes clear, it gets better. That's why he's saying keep leaning into Jesus. He's saying, keep, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see this? Philippians 3, 15 and 16, let those of us who are mature think this way. And in this passage, Paul is saying, don't worry about what's in the past. Press forward. Think about what's going to happen in the future, right? That's what's happening in Philippians 3. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, any, if, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained And he's already said that what we've attained in Philippians is Christ. But don't miss the point. Paul is saying that we grow in our understanding. And he's saying that we grow in our understanding as we hold on to what we already have, which he has said in Philippians is Jesus. Deuteronomy 29.29, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Again, this is just God saying there are some secret things. (laughs) Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, this is Paul in that famous love chapter. These are the parts that nobody reads at the wedding. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, so he's talking about the new heavens, new earth, the partial will pass away. So he's saying right now, you know in part. And he's saying we are teaching in part because that's the best we can do. But when the perfect comes, this partial existence, this living in the, the now and the not yet, this living uh, in this reality of Jesus building a kingdom for us that we can't imagine. He says when, 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 uh, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. He says when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. He's saying right now we see Jesus as if it's a dim mirror, but then we're going to see Jesus face to face. He's saying now I know in part, he's talking about knowing God's love, I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. Don't miss the main point we're making tonight. You should be confused by the Bible. Because what God has for you in the gospel is greater than you can wrap your mind around. And as we grow in our understanding of the Bible across our lives, what happens is our view of Jesus gets bigger. And our hope in the new heavens and the new earth grows. And we don't find that there's something more broad, we find that there's something more deep. We go deeper into the gospel, not past the gospel into something else. So I find, especially with folks who are new to the Bible, that a huge, a time when they need to fight for surrender is when they're confused. And I have just found that it helps to tell folks, you ought to be confused, keep reading. There's going to be something in there that's just pure gold. Meditate on that. I'm giving you permission to just keep reading. (laughs) And the part you understand, enjoy that. Okay? So the last thing we're going to do, if you'll turn to the very last page, every workshop I want to practice what it feels like to go through a CBR journal page. I want to practice this flow. And so I've, I've chosen Psalm 131 is the psalm we're going to practice on tonight. Now, we have 21 minutes I intend to use uh, a lot of this time, although we may be done early. But what I want to do first, I want to give you four minutes. You have four minutes to write a surrender, to, write the, to surrender through prayer. You have four minutes to, to actually, in this moment, practice surrendering through prayer. And this is for right now, because you're about to encounter God in His Word. You're about to encounter God in his word. Then, again, you have four minutes. I want you to surrender through prayer, and I want you to listen to Psalm 131. I want you to slowly read Psalm 131 one time, and the first time through, I want you to ask yourself, what does this tell me about God and his attributes and actions? I want you to start to fill out the adoration box. So you have four minutes to write your surrender through prayer and to capture are the attributes and actions of God that make him worthy of adoration and put those in that box. Does that make sense? Okay, Psalm 131 is only three verses, so I might only give you three minutes. We'll have to wait and see. But you can begin now. So this is a private endeavor. This is, a, this is you experiencing intimacy with God through his word, and then in a minute we're going to experience intimacy with one another uh, around God's word. All right. Now, normally I don't ask people to read their surrender through prayer. We just jump into the ACTS because we like I like to model in the community what it looks like to use ACTS as a way to respond to the Bible. But for now, for I'd love it if a couple people would be willing to read their surrender through prayer um, out loud, just to just to show, um, yeah, just to show that may, maybe to take some of the Um, what's the right word, some of the shine off of it. In other words, just to show how human and real it is, that it's not like, like I don't write poetry. Mine are not elegant and eloquent. (laughs) They're very short sentences and very basic, right? So would we have a couple people just be willing to say, hey, I wrote a basic prayer. I learned some things tonight. I, I implemented them in the prayer. Here's my prayer. Would anybody be willing to do that? Please? Thank you, Jonathan. I wrote that too. I'm angry. He's been yawning. 19, hope your words,
1: so light.
0: Great. Awesome. That was fantastic. What else? Would somebody else just be willing to share? Great. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Okay. So, in adoration, what did what did you uh, what did you what impacted you in this passage in regards to God's attributes and actions? God is worthy of a nation's hope. Good. What else? You're like a mother that gives me life and sustenance. Okay. You're like a mother that gives me life and sustenance. What else? Great. You calm me and quiet my soul, you give me peace. What else? You're my hope. I'm sorry, my hope. My hope for today and forever. Hmm. Yeah. He's at peace. He's in control. He's steady, steadfast, good. Okay, now. Let me ask you a question. And, and, and um, you, you tell me if this is offensive or not because I planned it exactly like this. Is the psalm saying that God calms and quiets us or is the psalm saying we calm and quiet ourselves? See, the psalm's actually teaching this reality right here. But is it true that God, like a, Jesus, like a mother hen, wanted to pull his chicks underneath him? Is it true that God does calm and quiet us? Of course those things are true, right? So was it wrong that the Holy Spirit wanted you to adore God for those realities from this psalm? No. Does that make sense? In other words, maybe it doesn't make sense. I have been struck by how often people will be impacted by a biblical reality that's sort of part of the passage but not really the main part of the passage. And I think that's super cool. Are you with me? So in other words, again I, I, I I'm not I, I when I pre I actually preached this psalm, and it wasn't until like I sat down that I realized I missed it in verse two. So I, I studied it for like twelve hours and missed it. But what what, what what the psalmist is saying is there are some things, so particularly in confusion, there are some things that are over my head and I just need to calm and quiet my soul that I need to, in a sense, train my soul to be like a weaned child within me so it's not always nagging at me. Because God's not nagged by me. I am. All right, so all that to say, I, I, I don't know if you understand my point, but like on the conviction box, a lot of times people will say while they're reading they feel conviction about something unrelated to the passage. And I say, Great. That's the Holy Spirit. Do not limit the Holy Spirit to the passage you're reading in terms of what he can bring you you to conviction about. Like if I yell at my kids, a lot of times it's that next morning. I'm like, well, yelling at your kids is not in this passage. I know, but you yelled at your kids. Okay, confession, I yelled at my kids. Does that make sense? All I'm saying is the word is living and active. And if you were to go, if your adoration was, I'm so glad that there are seven parts of the Trinity, you would be outside of the Bible. That would be wrong. I'm not saying anything's right. I'm just amazed at how often, or what will happen in someone's mind is they'll read something and they'll go to like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon and they're all in the Bible and they'll find themselves worshiping God there. Now, don't do that if you're preaching. But, but in Bible reading... Part of it's just kind of following where the Holy Spirit takes you. And if He takes your mind to other passages, cool. You don't have to. The, staying down here doesn't mean I can't leave this chapter. It means I'm trying to listen to the voice of God. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Okay, great. Let's do confession. You got two minutes. Now, confession. Confess your sinfulness and acknowledge your sins and. And um, you have two minutes, so just read slowly, listen slowly, and and as the Holy Spirit brings conviction, write it down. Don't confess all theoretical sins. Don't confess the sins that someone might need to confess from this passage. Confess the sins that you feel conviction in regards to. Run to the throne of grace and and, uh, have confidence uh, in your confession. All right? How has the Holy Spirit brought conviction? And the need for confession from this passage. Or while you were in the midst of this passage. Yeah. Great. Yeah, the, the too great and too marvelous for me is my retirement. Right now, for some reason, I am constantly trying to figure out my retirement. I'm 42. And it's not reasonable to think I'm going to have retirement from here, just so you know. But how God's going to provide for me at that point is too great and too marvelous for me. And I I have felt him say, you can't add a day to your life. He's been working on this with me. But when I read that, I instantly think, I have occupied myself with the future. And that is too great and too marvelous for me. What else? I wrote, I am guilty of trying to get the call by controlling all things around me. Oh, that's great. It's not great that you do it, but that's a great confession. <laughs> me too. Me too. And when I was younger, I thought I could actually control everything. Now as I get older, I just get really mad because I can't. That was great. Did anybody else write that or something similar to that? Man, that's awesome. What else? But sometimes I don't want to do the work of fighting myself. I just want to rail against the fact that I need a big I because I'm history. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of hard work to fight for surrender. Right. It, it's actually a lot easier to move towards some addictive substance or to move towards anger or it's just yeah it's or or just to to double down and buckle up and go for it you know that's that's actually a lot easier than sort of saying you're the big circle I'm the little circle now let's just spend some time stewarding my soul <laughs> all right what else I'm full of pride. Did anybody else write down I'm full of pride? It's wrong. Sorry. I'm just joking. <laughs> so, so give tell us more. I think I'm better than I am. Same concept I hope in myself. Yeah, I hope in myself. I'm sorry? Yeah, I said All right, so you have two minutes to read again. This time, Thanksgiving. Thank Jesus for his salvation, past, present, and future. Now, what I would like to tell you is this, that Jesus specifically said that all the Old Testament was about him. So I want you to know that Psalm 131 is ultimately about the salvation you have in Jesus. But Jesus also said in Luke 24, the Old Testament made him necessary. Jesus also said in John 5, that when you read the Old Testament, you should run to me. So even if all you do is read this, feel guilty again, and run to Jesus, it has served its purpose. The purpose of this psalm is to make you feel a need for Jesus, and this psalm is going to tell us something about the redemption we have in Jesus, I promise you that. But when you get to that Thanksgiving box and you're at home and you're by yourself and you're not exactly sure how would Drew preach Christ from this passage, it's great if you know, if you can figure that out, but if all you know is that you need to get to Jesus, you're obeying John 5, where Jesus said, don't search the scriptures and not come to me. Search the scriptures and run to me. Okay, so you have two minutes, and just thank Jesus for his salvation, past, present, and future. All right, how does this song make you thankful for the gospel? Were you about to go? thought okay, all right. I thought you, I thought you turned like, all right. I feel like I'm talking too much. No. This I'm is, where I'm weak, you're strong. Where I'm inadequate, you're adequate. Where I'm full of pride, you're humble. You want to go? Yeah, well, just my, so much of my confession was to do with um, not being calm and quiet in the mystery of mm. the heart. Here gives me a picture of some of that mystery. He was coming here to be one of us, so just thinking, that Yeah, that he came, he showed us what you are. Um, and you, you never occupied yourself even when mm. you, you surrendered to your father, yeah, even when you wanted another way. Yeah, yeah, so and I get that record, so I have yeah. to be with him, and then there really won't be any mystery, right? Because of what awesome. Awesome. I mean, yeah, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, I said something similar. I'm um, just thinking him for hoping that his father would be in Calvary. Yeah.
1: Moments like in the garden where
0: his soul probably wanted to explode. Yeah. So did Jesus ask for there to be another way? What does that tell you? He was looking for another way and he prayed authentically. And the answer was no. That's right. And then and then into your hands I commit my spirit. So he I mean he calms and quiets his soul and hands it to the Father as his last act of obedience. That's amazing. So yeah, so this, this psalm mocks me because I don't know how to do this, but I have the record of one who did this. So God sees me. He loves me and enjoys me and accepts me and adores me as if this is me because it was Jesus. All right? This, uh, when I, uh, My mind went to the future. My mind went to the reality that hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. My mind went to... He's got my future under control. That he will give me the food I need to accomplish the chores I have and then I will be with him forever. My mind went to the new heavens and the new earth and that forevermore part. That's part of his saving work of us. Anyone else? Last one. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Did you hear that? She's like, look at how bad I am, but look at how worse I would be without Jesus. That's awesome. Timo texted me recently, I shudder to think of who you would be apart from Christ. Because I was lamenting how much sin I saw in my life. And he's like, I'm just thanking God that you're not all the way down here. He, he, Timo say, says of old people, can you imagine how bad they would be if it wasn't for Jesus. And, I, and now as I'm getting old, I was 30 at the time, now as I'm getting old, I'm like, that's so true. That it's, sometimes I'm like, why am I not way up here? And the real, the real glory of it is I'm not way down here. Yeah. That's so great. Did anybody else write that down in their Thanksgiving box? No. So why do you do community Bible reading? Yeah. It's so much better in community. Now it has to start. It has to start in this time of surrender to God. Then you prepare to go out and talk to people about it, so you have something to contribute, and so you also are ready to hear from them in what God gave to them. So it's both. It, it's this Bible reading where there's intimacy uh, through His Word, and then you have intimacy around His Word with your community. Okay, close us in prayer, Jonathan. Would you?